welcome to Lifting Leaders Podcast, where we're unleashing leader possibilities to make a better world. I'm Trisha Ryan, and together with Crystal Roberts, we're diving deeper into some of the complexities of the world's most critical challenges and exploring innovative ways of navigating through them. Through interviews with experts and leaders just like you, we are exploring what it takes to thrive as a leader today and examining new ways of thinking about how to creatively lead into a more equitable, socially responsible, and sustainable future. And the future starts now. Hey, amazing listening audience. We are so glad you're here with us today on Lifting Leaders. Hey, Crystal. Hi, Trisha. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. How about you? I'm doing awesome. I'm loving the beautiful fall days that we're having, but I could do a little less of the fire smoke. Yes, I know. If you have fall and the leaves are changing, doesn't it make sense that it just be a little bit crisp outside? I know. I know. So much for that. Huh? But we're gonna we're gonna get a fire going in here. We are. We <laughs> really are. I am so happy about today's episode because we have an awesome guest who, in my opinion, is sort of a beacon of truth, warmth, compassion, and love that she shares with a huge fan base. I know this because I follow her myself. Um, so by way of her bio, I want to introduce to you Glodine Champion. Glodine Champion is a transformational leader who specializes in personal growth, leadership development, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. She works with individuals and organizations to get to the root cause of culturally-based challenges by transforming beliefs, behaviors, and assumptions. Glodine's unique approach to this century-old endeavor, if you will, is rooted in the practice of engaging with people's core emotions, cultural competencies, and situational and self-awareness through coaching, training, and workshops. She believes in meeting people where they are and leading them where they want or need to be. Awesome. Glodine's author of Salmon Croquettes, which I can tell you is an awesome book, by the way, um, a coming-of-age story about a 12-year-old girl's journey to self-discovery and sexual identity. It's set in 1965 Watts, Los Angeles, and it's historical fiction about a true catalyst for the Watts riots. Glodine's also currently working on the sequel to Salmon Croquette, as well as her memoir. I'm not going to give you the name because it's going to come soon. It better come soon because I'm waiting. <laughs> Glonine is also a keynote speaker who speaks professionally on issues related to diversity and inclusion. She's exceptionally engaging, funny, and passionate, and pulls from her upbringing and the influence of her mother, Frances Champion, to create stories that connect her connect with her audience. Sorry, her approach to delicate subjects is with honesty, authenticity, and vulnerability, and she's a master at challenging and captivating audiences of all kinds in ways that forces them to take pause and listen from the heart, something she believes we need more of and we want if we want to make this world a better place. And you're talking to two people who really do want to make this world a better place. So on a personal note, I have to say, I've been following Glodine for over a year, and 
Yeah. And the whole time I was following her, I was getting more and more into what she was talking about and into what she was typing about. And not only is every screenshot you see of her vibrant, it's got, there's always color that gives you an energy that is just amazing. But also her messages are so heartfelt that it touched my heart. And so I did reach out to her. We had a meeting recently on Zoom and realized that we know each other a little bit without <laughs> knowing each other, at least two girls from another mother. So <laughs> it's wonderful. And I'm, I'm so, so proud to say that we have her here today. And I want to welcome you, Glodine, to our podcast. Thank you so much, Tricia and Crystal. So happy to be here. We are a ready. Year? You were following me for a year. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome. And you're not just on LinkedIn. I was following you on LinkedIn and Instagram-ish. So uh, yeah, I I never can tell whether I'm on Instagram or Facebook. Okay, folks, I am admitting that <laughs> because they seem to kind of flow into each other. But um, I was following you. Yes. Wow, that's awesome. That made me smile. Oh <laughs> no. Thank you. It makes me smile. So we are going to ask you some questions today. We want to know more about you. And so are you ready for this? I'm ready. Awesome. Thank <laughs> you. Well, I just have to say I'm really excited about this conversation, too, because I've been hearing over that year, <laughs> did you hear what Chloe Dean said? You've got to see this video. And so I'm, I'm it's so fun to see you in person. I love I'm this. a fan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So tell us your story, Glodine. Oh, boy. I know. Um, it's a big question. <laughs> it is. A, it's a big question, and it's a big story. I'm going to give you the the Cliff Notes version, if I can. Yeah. Um, so I started my career at 17. Wow. Um, I always feel it's important to tell this story because my mother gave me two options. I graduated high school at 16. Mm. And my mother said, get a job or go to school. And so mm. I went to college for a semester. I didn't like it. Mm. Um, and there was this program called the NAACP New Careers Training and Placement Center. It was a secretarial school, basically. Oh. And it was a 12-week program. I went. I was there every day, all day, early, stayed late, learned as much as I could. And six weeks in, they send you out on mock interviews. But I had decided I had done enough of this secretarial school and I was going to get the job. So I went on the interview <laughs> and I got the job. And because I was underage, the CEO had to call my mother and ask oh, permission oh. <laughs> if he could hire me. And my mother was like, are you going to pay her? <laughs> or she can work there. So that started my career. I started as a receptionist. And then three months later, I was bored and I asked for something else. And they gave me some like light bookkeeping stuff and I took to it. So then I was like the bookkeeper's right hand for a while. Hmm. Um, and then I joined the Navy and that helped me learn my leadership skills. So like on my first job, I learned how to ask for what I wanted. And in my, in my role in the Navy, I was the leader of our company. So I learned what leadership was all about mm -hmm. in a real, in like in a real way. Yeah. Um, and then I came out of the Navy and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I, I did a bunch of jobs and then I moved up to San Francisco mm -hmm. and, um, I found that I did some secretarial stuff and then I got into IT and I loved mm. it. 
I took my, my, I was married at the time. I took my husband's computer apart a few times <laughs> and I was like, I can do this because what the, the company that I worked for, um, I hated that job. Like I hated it. And I started to break my computer. I, well, my computer broke one time and the guy came to fix it. His name was Carlos. And I noticed that Carlos got to walk around and talk to people and fix their computers. Mm, and I was yeah. like, I want that job. So I figured one day he came to fix my computer. I watched what he did. And then I broke it again. And he came back. <laughs> <laughs> that was back when you would type WP to get Word yes. Perfect to launch. And I noticed when there was a problem, he would type D-I-R and look at the directory. So I learned like DOS just enough to be able to delete stuff and figure out how that part worked. And then watch how he would solve the problem. Right. And then I said to him, is this your job? Like, you really get to come here and walk around and talk to people and help them fix their computers? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, I want that job. So I went home and took my husband's computer apart. He had just gotten it. Brand new <laughs> oh, computer. <no>. Look <laughs> what I and can do. Came, yeah. He came home from work. Like, why is my computer in pieces on the floor? And I was like, because that's my next job. So um, I did that a few times. And then I bought a book called The Computer Bible. It had everything you need to know about computers. And I read it from cover to cover. And it took about three months before I was like fully confident that I could get through the interview. I knew that if I could get the interview, yeah. that I would get the job. So I got my first job at the help desk in, um, at Bank of America. And I started at the help desk and I worked my way up. My last role was as um, client services manager for Bayer Pharmaceuticals before I quit corporate America and went back to school and got my bachelor's degree and my master's degree. And then I was a adjunct professor and a high school teacher. Mm-hmm. And then I wow. couldn't figure out who was going to eat some days when I was teaching me or the dog. So, mm-hmm. so I went back, I went back to work and um, the company that I worked for, I went as, in as a technical writer and that was boring. I didn't even know what I was thinking. I think that, I think that the universe sent me to that company so that I could be where I am right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I helped them build their corporate compliance department and they brought in mm-hmm. a process improvement expert and I got partnered up with him and he helped me realize Pete Berg, he's, he was like the best leader I've ever had uh-huh. because all the jobs, the reason I hated all my jobs is because I, I, I you know, you can't come, you can't contain gloating in a, in a box, right? <laughs> um, I have bosses that didn't want me to talk to people and didn't want me to, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. There were so many things. Or took credit for my work. That was the worst. Uh, yeah. But absolutely. he realized who I am. Like he saw mm. who I am. And he said, you are a natural servant leader. You have great relationships. Because when he was doing his interviewing, he asked the leadership team that was that was hiring him, who is, who is somebody who has good relationships and gets things done. And they all said, gloating champion. <laughs> so um, I worked with him. And I got into Lean Six Sigma and I got my Six Sigma black belt. But I, I realized that all the all the roles that I had in every job, I was a coach. I was coaching mm-hmm. the leaders because they would be, we'd be in meetings and they'd be terrible. And I'd be the one courageous enough to say like, that wasn't cool or whatever. Speak my mind, tell the truth. Yeah. Um, so when I got into Six Sigma, I realized like I'd been doing this work my entire career, whether I was a secretary or whether I was in IT. Um, I got into project management while I was in IT just because some things didn't make sense. So Pete just helped me realize that my natural abilities 
would be great for this work. But the best part of doing process improvement work is that I learned immediately, this is not about me. Mm. This is about helping the people in the process find their voice, trust their knowledge. And then it was also about me coaching the leaders to get them to understand your people know the process better than you. Mm-hmm. And know you want to believe that you know it the best, but they're in it every day. Mm-hmm. So you you got to listen to them. Um, so it was that was probably the most rewarding role that I've ever had. It was extremely difficult because, you know, some a lot of the leaders that I worked with just weren't willing to relinquish control. Mm-hmm. And that made it a little harder. Um, yeah. So anyway, fast forward. Um, after George Floyd was... Uh, murdered. I didn't know what was going on. I hadn't been on social media or watching the news. And my cousin sent me a text and said they were rioting in her neighborhood. And I asked her why. And I might as well have said God was a lie. Like her reaction was like, I had said something blasphemous. And I was like, what? I don't I don't know what's going on. And she said, go look up George Floyd. And I found out about George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, and all the crazy Karen type stories that were going on. And I was like, what? I'm living in my little bubble in Monterey. I had no idea this was going on in Mm -hmm. the world around me or in this country around me. Um, And I was in tears. Like I hadn't cried like that in a long time. And I asked the universe, what can I do? What can I personally do to help affect change? And the answer came back love. And Mm -hmm. I thought it meant like, you know, do random acts of kindness and, so I was walking around Monterey telling people I love them and going to Starbucks and paying, you know, paying for people's stuff. And my favorite lunch and lunch place, I'd buy lunches. And then I got another message like, Mm-mm, that's not the love we're talking about, honey. Mm-hmm. And I started to realize, and I know this might sound, pay- well, I don't know. Anybody that prays knows that there's, we have a connection to whatever you call God. Mm-hmm. We all have a different name, but there is a, I believe, a higher power that mm-hmm. if we're in tune to it, we can, we get messages. Um, I understood that the work that I should be doing was about teaching, being, and spreading love, but I couldn't do any of that if I couldn't look in the mirror and say, I love you, Glodine. Mm-hmm. And when I asked myself, do you love you? I was like, mm, kind of. I mean, in comparison to other people I loved, eh, I'm all right. <laughs> So I, I started this self-love journey and I and I it took me a while to be able, like I, I challenged myself to stand in the mirror, but naked. I've gained weight. I'm not the, you know, the hot 30-year-old that I used to believe I was. Um I needed to stand in the mirror and be able to say I love you and mean it. And it took me a minute to be able to say it and mean it. Um, I think the day that I did it was because I made myself stand there for at least an hour. It took me an hour. Like, you got to say, I love you just the way you are in this package, because this is who the world is going to see, not 30-year-old 30, 30 Claudia. Wow. And I was like, all right, I love you. I really love you. And then it made it a lot easier for me to, to act more loving because I understood what that meant, right? We can't love other people if we don't love ourselves. We can kind of half do it, but we can't be all in. And so um, I went all in with me and then I got scared Mm. because it felt like I had this tall order. Like I was being asked to do something that A, I didn't think people wanted. Like I also 
related like working in process and working with this concept of love this as the same thing, something people didn't want to hear. Like people don't focus on process until something breaks mm-hmm. yeah. and then it's, it's almost too late. Or like just talking about process, that's la- the last thing companies want to focus on because they feel like we're making money. So what difference does it make if it's not, you know? Yeah. Um, and then all my, all my safety nets were taken away and I kept running until my savings ran out. And then it was like, okay, I guess I got to do this. So now I'm all in mm. <laughs> and, um, and my, and so anyway, that, that's what has gotten me to where I am now. I just had to tell that whole story. Sorry, because it, it influences everything that I do because yeah. I have a, I have a rich understanding of what's needed because I was in, in corporate America for so long, but it's not just in corporate America because I taught, I understand how it works in the educational system, yeah. higher ed and in secondary. Mm-hmm. So um, I feel like I'm fully armed and ready to do this work because I know what's needed. And it's not, it's not about making people feel bad about themselves. It's mm-hmm. about, about helping people love themselves yeah. so they can love other people. Yeah. Wow. What a powerful message um, as you're teaching other people, you know, having them hear it and and learn it themselves because Crystal and I both agree that, you know, until you know yourself, you really are not in any shape to lead other people. You know, you need to be able to look in the mirror and, you know, notice your own shortcomings and your own, and your own wonderfulness and be able to accept it, but also learn from it to, and use it to the benefit of others. And I think that that's so important. And when you say that, I'm thinking, wow, you know, that, that's pretty much an epiphany. A lot of people don't come on that, come to that on their own, you know, yeah. so that's pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah. I, I just loved that story. And the other thing I saw as far as those threads is one of the things that we talk a lot about is this, um, um, when we think about a career and think about trying to find what we're good at and what our strengths are is, we kind of follow Marcus Buckingham's new book called Love and Work. Mm. <laughs> and he talk, calls it a scavenger hunt. And I was thinking that is exactly what your career was all about mm-hmm. was this scavenger yeah. hunt. And you are able to look back and sort of see this is, this is where those red threads have come from yeah. and how they sort of pull through. And what a gift that you had somebody – in your leadership line that could actually honor that as well. Yeah. And that's what we need leaders to do. You know, yeah. we need people, we need the leaders to actually give people the space to actually utilize their strengths and what they're good at. And that's when people really shine and it's good for business. It's not just good for people, it's good for business. So it I makes love the that. leader look good. It's yes, not I, yes. why leaders felt threatened rather than just realizing that I'm making you look good, man. Why are you making my job so far? <laughs> yeah. well, I don't fit in that box. Let me yeah, out. I, don't I think like that's box. No. <laughs> I think that's key too. You know, so many leaders that I've seen over the years are and I would call them managers and not leaders necessarily. Right. These are people who are so afraid that they're not going to get credit for something or that that they're going to be seen as not being productive, that the people that actually do the work 
are not getting the credit, the leader's right. getting the credit. And, the, and that is just absolutely the opposite of what it needs to be because every leader I've ever had who was worth their weight in anything mm-hmm. uh, was a leader who always lifted up the people that work for them and uh, gave them the credit. And in the end, they got the credit because they did right. such an awesome job of being a leader, right? right. Chris, Crystal's Certainly. one of those people. Yeah. You are, Trisha. I really are. <laughs> Thank you, Trisha. Yeah, she used to be my leader. You. Leadership is not yeah. about you; it's about your people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's all about that. And I love the fact in your message you were talking about, you know, focusing on the process and not the people when there's something that goes wrong. Mm-hmm. That is like yeah. so, um, so fundamental in so many ways, and people just don't always see it, and it's right yeah. there in front of them. Right yeah. in front yeah. of them. Well, you know, it would be easier to see if the process was documented. Yeah. <laughs> yes. were focused on continuous improvement in a real meaningful way instead of just saying it. Oh, yeah. that's but, just so Six Sigma of you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, boy. Yeah. I remember I, once I, I worked with a leader who um, had created his own process map hmm. and was arguing with me that my process map, the industry standard process map, was wrong oh. and his was right. And I was like, if you just Google process map, you <laughs> won't see yours. You'll see mine. I don't like throwing my my credentials around, but I had to say to him, I have a six sigma black belt. If I don't know anything else, I know how to do a process map. <laughs> That's like, true. I know. Bare minimum. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Yeah. I think the other thing I just wanted to share is thank you for being vulnerable with your story. Um and I think it was important to tell all of that. And it's inspirational. It really is. And we have um, we have a real mix for our listeners. We have people who have experience, but we also have a lot of young people. Yes. And mm. so I think, you know, one of the conversations we have a lot with young people is they keep thinking they have to know what their career is going to be. And mm. it's like forever and ever, right? It's like this yeah. huge weight on them. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's like, you know what? You just need to know what that next step is. And maybe it's not yes. right. And that's okay because you can, you know, pivot and try again and try again until you get your flow, until you know. But you can't know until you try it. So I love your story of being able to say, hey, I found a little bit here and I have a little bit there. And I just, I'm keeping at it. I'm figuring it out as I go. And that's that's a real life. And Mm -hmm. that's, you know, and that is a career. And you're promoting bravery in that sense, because, you know, a lot of people are afraid to take that next step. It's a risk, you know, I'm going out on that limb. And what if it breaks? You know, is there a net? What's going to happen? Right. So I think it's a it's an amazing um, lesson for people to hear that, you know, this is not necessarily the end of the world. If you fall, you know, let's build that mental muscle. Yeah, let's yeah. build that resilience to be able to bounce back, take what you learned and move on and use it, right? right. So well, that's wonderful. Here's what I would say to that. Um, my philosophy has always been, is it going to kill me? Yeah. Like, yes. If I want to do something, my first question, if it frightens me, is, is it going to kill me? And if it's not going to kill me, is it going to hurt someone else? No. Okay. Well, then let's figure out how to do this. Except for me running from my purpose. That was a whole different kind <laughs> of thing. Right. But yeah. but moving through my career, I mean, looking looking for a job and and not getting the the job you interviewed for is not going to kill you. Mm-hmm. It's going to give you more experience for the next interview. And I yeah. feel like the thing, the job that's for you, you're going to go on that interview and you're going to know the minute you walk in and sit down, this is the job I want. Right. Yeah. That's and so that's true. That's the one you'll get. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah so true. So I'm going to ask you a question that is, it, it has been a little confusing for me only because I'm learning this term for kind of the first time in my world. And, um, but I've been hearing it a bit lately. And so I'm wondering if you could, if you wouldn't mind sharing um, your thoughts about the concept of racial reconciliation. I'm not quite sure. I, I want to make sure I understand it because I don't want to use it unless I know yeah. it. I don't necessarily believe in racial reconciliation because that would mean that I agree with the construct of race. And I believe mm -hmm. race was created to pit us against each other. Um, there is no such thing as white and black. In fact, you're looking at me, I am brown and I'm looking at y'all and you are not white, right? right. Um, you have a heritage that goes back to some continent, I mean, sorry, some country, right? Um, we're all immigrants in America, except for the people who were here when Christopher Columbus got here. So race, especially when it comes to the way that Black people have been um, portrayed, or that's not even the right word, um, the, the story that has been created about Black people um, is so contradictory to who we are. And I wouldn't have known that if I had never left America and gone to Africa mm -hmm. and gone to Cairo and Ghana and, and been in villages where there was no running water and no floors. And the people were the kindest people I'd ever met in my life. And they had no concept of poverty mm -hmm. because the thing they had was the richness of community and the richness of family and friends and that, that connection, right? Because they're not bogged down with all the materialism and the, the whatever. So I feel like we need to get away from this whole construct of race to begin with, because it's not moving us forward. Um, the reconciliation that we need to have is our human spirit. We need to remember mm -hmm. that we are all divinely connected, that agape love is what we should be working toward. And so the reconciliation we should have is the love for one another. And that would trump everything that would go above difference, that would go above the construct of race, sexuality, all of those things, because mm -hmm. we would be able to see each other for who we really are. And that's why I said the work that I do in DEI isn't about teaching systemic racism and bias and all that stuff. I am more interested in helping people understand the things they have in common mm -hmm. and how we can move forward from that place so that we can then understand how systemic racism plays into that. But the last thing I want to do is bring people together and have half the group walking away pissed off because they feel like they've been villainized and the other half walking away feeling victimized, mm -hmm. also pissed off, all now going to their own corners. And that does not bring us together yeah. in a meaningful way. You know, you and I talked about this on the phone when, yeah. when we met uh, about how that happens so often and yeah. people put on training programs thinking that that's the answer. Yeah. But I have not noticed, honestly, um, the people that have gone through that training being any different than they were before. In fact, maybe a little more polarized than it was before. Yeah. And to me, that is just hurtful. Yeah. And you're forcing people to do something they may not want to do. Right. Here's what I believe, because <clears throat> I've worked with a lot of people who didn't like me because of the color of my skin. Mm -hmm. But I recognized 
that we were having this issue. And my, I am more interested in the end goal. I was in a, um, a friend of mine had asked me to facilitate a, a DEI workshop because she couldn't do it. And I, it was like the substitute teacher coming in to do this work. <laughs> um, one of the guys was intentionally like disconnecting himself. And it's hard to teach on Zoom. Yeah. So I put everybody in, I noticed what he was doing and I, I couldn't let him continue it because it wasn't helping the, the group. And so I put everybody in a breakout room except him. I kept him in the room with me. <laughs> That's so smart. <laughs> and, I, and I said to him, I get the sense that you don't want to be here. And he said, he said, well, I have to because my company says blah, blah, blah. And I said, so I, I also get the sense that there's some issue you're having because I'm your facilitator. Well, I didn't expect to see you. I expected to see Lisa. And I told him why I was there. And um, I started to ask him race-based questions, mostly about Black people. He believed all the stereotypes, blah, blah, blah. Okay, I know what I'm dealing with. I said, listen, I really need you to engage in this workshop because it's not for me, it's for you and it's for your organization. But more importantly, it's for your team. Mm -hmm. And you can't be part of a team if you're not engaged in this conversation. So Let's make an agreement. I promised you, because he said he never worked with, he had black people at his company, but he's disconnected from them because he grew up in a predominantly white um, town and his school was white. And so, yeah. Um, I said, I promise that I will be willing to be the represent representation for all the black people in the country. If you agree, to engage in this workshop. And if I do anything during the course of this workshop that makes you believe whatever you've been told about black people, I will let you leave this room mm, believing that. That's smart. But if at the end, that is not the case, I want you to think about that the next time you're in this situation. All right, fine. He had an attitude, he wasn't happy about it. We get to the end, at the end of every workshop, I ask, what did you like? What did you learn? What would you do differently? He was the second person to go. He said, I liked Glodine. And everybody Aww. looked at him like, what? <laughs> I like Glodine. What did I learn? I learned that I should, um, I shouldn't be so rigid in my beliefs. And I, and the, what would you do differently? He said, I would come into um, a space with an open mind. Mm -hmm. And wow. I was like, I'd let you pat me on the back, but my hand is in the way. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you just, you, what just you kidding. did was wow. you moved a fixed mindset into a growth yeah. mindset just yeah. with through that. And that's not magic. That is just foundational common sense, really. It makes so much sense. That's, that's wonderful. That's really wonderful. And we need more of that in the world. People yes, can, I do. am not, like you said, I am not magical. I don't have superpowers. I mean, I do, but. I do believe you do. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that we can all, we can all challenge. And when mm -hmm. I say challenge, we can all help people see another way of being. You just have to do it the right way. And I think loving kindness, here we go again. Mm -hmm. Loving kindness is the way to get people to hear you. You, know. you first got to listen to them. I let him say his feel. From a like coaching perspective, that really time. makes sense too. You know, as yeah. a coach, I think often it, I, I won't say often. I do know a few coaches that are uncomfortable with that. You know, they're a little bit uncomfortable because they're not sure how it's going to be. They want to be completely open. They're trying to be present, everything. And they may not come into it with any, uh, at least, 
um, known bias, you know, and it's hard for them because they don't want to be disrespectful, but at the same time, mm-hmm. they're not quite sure how to approach. And it's like, just be yourself, <laughs> you know? Well, and I think the most important thing, as you were saying, is that you took the time to actually address it. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. uncomfortable. You don't know, you know, there's uncertainty there. You don't know what his response will be, but you were courageous yeah. And talk to him about it, and that and changed it everything. Yeah. And it was on Zoom, yeah. but that was so smart. I'm like, I'm going to use that one. <laughs> that alone was a real challenge. <laughs> I do a lot of teaching on Zoom. I'm like, that I can use. <laughs> yeah, that's so smart. Yeah, yeah. All right. So our next question is: In late 2021, the Center for Creative Leadership published an article, Four Steps Toward Meaningful Action on DEI. In the article, they pose it that without equity, any efforts to promote diversity and or inclusion would not be sustainable. What can leaders do to level the playing field in environments and organizations where there are clearly inequities? That's a big question. <laughs> it's just simple. One, two, three. <laughs> I had time. Yeah. Well, it, well, I kind of think it is simple. Um, again, if you step out of self, right? It's not about you. It's not about you being in competition with someone else. It's not about feeling like you're going to lose something if somebody else gets something. Um, If you, if one executive makes $150,000, then the next executive that fills those shoes, who may not look the same or may be a different gender or different sexual orientation, should still make that same $150,000. That's a conscious decision that you make. It's a conscious decision to, when you um, make a choice between who who you think is more valuable versus someone else. Mm -hmm. So change your thinking. That takes courage. And it takes you to step out, again, step outside of yourself. And it takes the people who see what you're doing it takes them to speak up and hold you accountable. Yeah. That's the one I think in when you string all the letters D E I B together, equity is the one thing that people have more control over. Mm-hmm. And if it's true, I I agree that if 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 an organization had equity, inclusion would come naturally mm-hmm. and diversity wouldn't even matter. Oh, yeah. That's powerful. I love that. I right now I I'm working in an environment where they are working on like pay equity and stuff and it's it's a an initiative and and I'd say that the people who are actually working on making the change they understand you can tell they understand why this is so important you know and and they're trying to convey the message to people who don't necessarily understand and so it's um it's a challenge you know trying to get people to understand that we're not we're not saying that you have to pay somebody who is not like you more necessarily, but maybe you do because maybe they have better skills, maybe they have, you know, but right. but you at least have to level the playing field so that you're not bringing somebody in at the low point of a midpoint and, and somebody else who has similar or even lesser skills higher because of their color or whatever, you know, and it just, um, to me, I, I know I was just talking to one of the leaders about it yesterday and, and they're, it's wearing on them a little bit. The fact that it's, 
so hard for some people to understand. And it's it doesn't have to be. I think it's really a matter of letting go sometimes of the our own, you know, internal issues that are going on, the stories in our head that just don't stop or the things that we were brought up with that that you know, we we are brought up with certain values that we let go of so easily because yeah. life shows up, right? And it shows us tells us that that's not the value I want to have. So what mm -hmm. what's different about race and equity and inclusion actually you know what what's the diff you know why can't you say this this old thing i heard when i was three or four or five or 22 doesn't make sense to me anymore it is not the way we live in this world let go of it right i know it yeah. seems simple but yeah no i mean that's why i said it's a conscious decision mm -hmm. if if you how can and the and the thing that's used to discredit um people of color black people specifically um, it is, it, it's always an, um, a, and I'm going to call it an attack. It's always an attack on what you don't know. It's always an attack on what you lack. Right. It's always an attack on your, um, intellect. Right. But those are conscious decisions that you're making. Mm -hmm. Like I used to be a hiring manager. So I think it's BS when people say, I don't have, um, unconscious bias I, I, or actually, let me rephrase that. I don't, I don't agree with unconscious bias because I believe even, even in that unconscious thought, there is some thought, right? Yes. Because I used to be a hiring manager and I will admit that there were times I looked at someone's name. I didn't make the decision not to hire them based on their name. I made the decision not to hire them based on their, um, uh, um, what is it called? What they're bringing, you know, there were- uh, The resume. No. Thank you. I couldn't <laughs> yeah. find the word. Um, but I also took a moment to think about what they would have to deal with in the organization. Mm -hmm. Right. If oh, I wow. thought I'm yeah. hiring for like I was hiring for a, an IT manager in an environment where I was one of very few people of color. And I was the only black person, but very few other people of color in a in a time where people were making racist jokes and they thought that was okay mm -hmm. right i was the one that i mean they didn't make them around me they maybe once and then i said something but do i want to bring somebody into this environment and have to deal with that so that was a conscious decision right. but the looking at somebody's name and trying to figure out what their culture is that was the conscious decision so i don't i don't believe that un i think unconscious bias lets people off the hook like just face the fact that when you make a decision that's gonna be harmful to somebody else and being harmful is not bringing somebody into an organization because you didn't like their name mm -hmm. or you didn't like where they where they, where they lived or whatever that judgment is, you feel it somewhere in your body. Yeah, It may not be in your head, but you feel something in your body that's saying, you probably shouldn't do this, but you make the decision to do it anyway. So right. unconscious bias is not unconscious. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Actually, that's a good point to make. And it's it's one that I actually struggle with that too. Unconscious bias versus conscious bias. And, you know, I understand conscious bias because I see it all the time. Unconscious bias, I have a hard time identifying because I think as we become adults and we are out in the world where the real world happens and we listen to the news and we go to school and we read, how can we not, you know? So exactly. just my point. Exactly. Anyway. <laughs> so for our next question, and this is one that, 
you're getting there. What advice can you give to listeners who may be struggling or curious about steps they can take to better understand equity and the impact their beliefs and actions have on equity in the workplace? Um, okay, I'm going to be a repeat myself and mm. say, check in with yourself. Mm. Like, check in with yourself and see what your beliefs are. Because here's the thing. If you were taught something about a certain group of people, that doesn't mean what you were taught is true, but that is what you know. So don't deny that because that is part of your, that's part of your conditioning. We have been conditioned again in this country around the construct of race. And then our conditioning has been conditioned within that construct. So if you have certain beliefs that you wanna hold on to, that's fine. I'm, I, I'd rather people just own how they think and feel. But when it comes to the workplace, you have to look at the fact that if you're gonna pay one person X amount of dollars, you should pay somebody else the same amount of money. There shouldn't be, there shouldn't be all this unnecessary judgment about who deserves what, right? That's yes. the conscious decision that you're making. So check in with yourself. Am I doing, because if you're in a leadership role, again, it's not about you. It's about making the best for your people. And what I think a lot of companies miss is if you have predominantly white organization, you're missing all the, the talent and diversity and ideas and innovation that come from people who are different, whether they're culturally different or their gender or whatever, because we all bring something different to the table. So what are you missing out on? Like, think about that as well. Um, the other thing you can ask yourself is, if I hire this person and make it equitable for them, is it going to kill me? I'm guaranteeing you the answer will be no. <laughs> so, so, so make the decision based on what's right, based on what you would want if you were in that person's shoes. People like to say that they can't, um, it's hard to have empathy for other people. But my belief is you don't have to have empathy with me as a Black woman. Okay, you don't know what that feels like, but you know what it feels like to be disrespected or you know what it feels like to have somebody overlook you. So put yourself in those shoes mm -hmm. and the experience, not the person's skin. And I think that would that will help, but it all starts with self. And if you love you, this will be an easy thing to do. Wow, and it, that might just grow some other skills like empathy. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> just what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just, it's so powerful. I'm just, um, wow. Yeah, drinking, drinking it all in. Um, I know I make it sound like it's so easy. Mm, no, but, but in a way, but in a way, letting go and just accepting and not just accepting, but, you know, realizing yeah. that there's more, I think isn't as hard as it, as it seems to some people, you yeah. know, it really yeah. could be easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could be. It could be. With that overarching, as you were talking about, sort of that overarching love of humanity mm -hmm. yeah. um, and starting there, like that's your guiding light and then everything else goes along behind that. Yeah. It would be a better world. Oh. <laughs> that's for sure. Well. <laughs> All right. So Glodine, what is next for you? 
Well, um, I'm going to continue spreading my message of um, love and connection and the work that I do. Obviously, I don't lead with love and connection because a lot of people don't want to hear those words together in the workplace. <laughs> um, but that's the end result. So I'm going to continue doing the work that brings people together and opens minds. And I started tonight is the first event. I have a change the world um, mm. um, kind of project that I'm launching tonight. It's called Let's Talk About Love Monterey, but I want it to be a, a national thing that I take to cities all across the country where I bring community people together to talk about the things that matter and how to move through the divisiveness oh. of this constructive race so that we can be better for each other. Because, you know, unless people are willing to um, leave the country altogether, we got to figure out a way to get along and um, whatever little bit I can do to help. That's what I'm going to do. And that's it. It starts at a grassroots level, right? I mean, that's how change happens. You know that, Miss I read Kaizen. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That's right. You know? Yeah. That's so, right. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. Love that. So, so we'll be following you. And we hope that our listeners will as well. Um, on our uh, webpage, we have, we'll have the links so that they can follow you um, and support you in those efforts. Because uh, it, takes, it takes a village, right? It's, it takes a um, village. And it takes a leader. And we're so glad that you have stepped forward to be that leader, to be one of those leaders, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to encourage people, though, if you do go on social media, look Glodine up because there's a lot of richness that comes through her and and from her. And I think it's, um, to me, it is worth it. It's like everyday meditations for me. You know, I love journaling. I love meditating. And I love just seeing what Glodine brings to the world every day because it's it's important stuff. To me, it is what grounds me, and I appreciate it. So. You are, you are absolutely wonderful, and I'm so glad that you made yourself known to so, through social media because I think you do. I can't imagine that you don't just lift a million spirits and that you don't mm. also just change a lot of people's thinking about the world, and I'm, I'm grateful, very grateful. Yeah, thank you. It, sometimes I wonder if anybody's seeing this post. <laughs> Everybody's that I know is seeing it because <laughs> I'm telling them to see it. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think I, I love knowing that you know, like Trisha was saying earlier on, that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. We're trying to change the world in a positive way, mm-hmm. and you know, it takes a lot of different ways to make that happen. And so I love partnering and supporting people who are trying to do that as well and we'll get there we'll get there yeah yeah i do believe that that is the key is is bringing in people who have the the secret sauce you know that really do have what can make a difference if people were to just hear it and and process it and and then maybe own it wouldn't that be wonderful it would be a really wonderful world that's yeah. it. And right I think there. we're yeah. getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. So I yeah. want to leave the last word to you, Glodine. Any last um, advice or just anything you'd like to share with our listeners as we say goodbye? Um, I'm going to say always do your best at being your best self. 
Mm. And when you can't do that, then go within and sit with yourself until you can. It will come. Mm. It's inside of you. It's inside of all of us. We just got to be present to feel it. That's beautiful. Love that. Thank you, Glodine Champion, for coming and spending the morning with us. And thank you for sharing really wonderful messages and your story with us. Um, I feel richer for it, and I hope our listeners do as well. My pleasure. Thank you both for having me. Such an honor. Thank you. Well, that was just so inspiring. I want to fly down a monorail and join that meeting tonight. Like, I love that. I love that inspiration around let's focus on love. Yeah. I, you know, I was thinking about the gifts that she left with us and with our listeners. But I, I also am thinking that she is a gift. You know, yes. knowing, knowing people like, like Glodine is like having the most blessed life in a way because she does really live what she speaks about. Yeah. And um, it's what, what a shining example. I love that. Yeah, oh, I love it. So let's keep the conversation going. If you have questions or comments about the show, you can find us on all our social media channels at lifting underscore leaders. There are so many exceptional podcasts coming up, more with fantastic guests, just like Glodine. So be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you know someone who would find this episode inspiring, share it with them, text them, email them, or take a screenshot and share it on our Instagram and tag us at lifting underscore leaders. If you would like to know more about us, our guests, or the show, please go to our website at liftingleaderspodcast.com. You'll find show notes there as well. If you're looking for help in developing your leaders or would like a growth opportunity yourself through leader coaching, please contact us through our website at www.liftingleaderspodcast.com. Thank you to Ari Chance Roberts for his technical support of our show. Lastly, please subscribe to our podcast. It's free. Thank you, Trisha, for co-hosting with me and bringing us Glodine. It was fantastic. Uh, thank you. I'm so glad that you you were with us for this conversation. I think that it was really rich. Thank you. And thank you to our audience for listening. Find ways every day to lift each other up. Have a fantastic week. Take care. <laughs>